Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. <laughs> what other way to go into a podcast like this and with a slightly evil laugh, Josh Brown? How, how are you doing over there? I'm all right, Scott Telford. You know what? It was a Hanging strange in. old um, week last week, yeah. full of highs and occasional low, but it was generally good to be back. You know, I'd <laughs> forgotten about the sort of physical ailments of working. You know, yeah, I was man. so worried about, obviously, I was off for mental health reasons. I was worried about coming back and then protecting my mental health. I just forgot how tiring work it is. <laughs> and that's coming from the perspective of someone who had it very easy last week, because fortunately, I have the best boss in the world, hey. Scott Telford, who was looking after me very much so. Thank you very but much. But even on that kind of reduced workload, um, I got the work eye twitch straight away. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else who especially works on screens all day is familiar with the eye twitch oh, thing yeah. sometimes. Times yeah, yeah, yeah. That came back after four months of just it not appearing at all. <laughs> Day one, pretty much by lunch, the eye twitch that, was back. I thought that's more like related to like hydration and stuff, isn't it? I know it's a stress thing too, but I'm sure you can like mitigate it or slightly push it back by just drinking loads of water. I uh, see. I, I, uh, too, too personal. You do actually have a water bottle. I don't have anything. Right I now. wee like a racehorse, man. I'm going all the time because I'm doing nothing but drinking water. More wheeze than Nintendo. Carry on. Headaches and eye strain. I don't know what it is, man. Maybe I should go to the doctor's for it. I don't know. But I just thought it was very funny that I've had four months of, you know, luxury eye treatment. And yeah. then I come back for half a day and it's like this, the, the eye switch. Returns. That's your brain going like, right then. Right then yeah, let's see what you're absolutely. telling me to do now. But no, it was lovely getting back in the studio with you. And I just kind of wanted to take a minute right now because I forgot to thank a few people last week. Okay. I forgot to thank you Aww. for being the best. I forgot to thank everyone who filled in on the podcast. You know, I'm probably going to miss some names, but I know Strong was on here. Stevie was on here. Ewan was on here. Cy was on here. Probably a bunch more that I don't even know about, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much to them as mm-hmm. well for uh, you know jumping in and doing an exceptional job and p- probably making me redundant at the end of the it year. It takes an army, so my good. friend. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much it. And I also wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, who was so lovely last week and uh, messaging me um, and being really supportive. The support was incredible. It yeah. was, and it was really touching. So thank you, thank you. You, thank you, as in Scott Tilford, <laughs> and thank you, as in everyone else who's featured on this podcast. Honestly, dude, like, it is all you. Like, I mean, the amount that you've done, like, I was telling you last week, like, I'm extremely proud of you for getting stuck in. Like, we, uh, we're tackling this very much together. Like you said, like, I'm in charge of your stuff, but we've always worked together on things anyway. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to try and give you, like, the, the best return to work possible. Oh, and great, bless man. you getting absolutely stuck in. Like, you did multiple news videos, the podcast and everything. Um, yeah, like, we talked yeah. about it at the start of last week, but it's been a hell of a time for you. So I'm only looking at the amount you're doing going like, dude, I'm so proud of you, but don't push yourself. It was funny because like at the end of last week, I was thinking, man, I wish I did 
more. I got pretty exhausted by the end of the week. And that's then content I kind of, brain, that is. No, it is. That's isn't the Twitch it? kicking it in. It's because we all do like five jobs, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I kind of realized, I was like, oh yeah, it's been four months. In that four month period, I've been out with other people probably four times cumulatively. Right. So coming back into an office full of people doing work on camera, I was like, oh yeah, maybe <laughs> uh, being in the house, not talking to no one for four months uh, might have impacted that a little bit and mm. made it a bit tiring. But uh, You hadn't missed a step, tell, man. This enthusiasm that I've got right here that is hopefully coming through yeah. is not fake though, because I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this. And I, and I, and I love doing stuff in here with you. Thank you. Same. It's Which is hilarious because we thought we would do, we did this last year, I think we did it halfway through the year last year, uh, the totally subjective game of the year ranking, which is a, a whole thing that only me and you could do in regards to addressing the reality or the assumption of objective fact and quality, yeah. and then throwing it out the window and going, well, actually, what were your 10 favorite? Like, for example, I always ask people, if they want to distinguish between the two, what would you say is the best film of all time? And then what would you say is your best, what is your favorite film of all time? Yeah. Chances are they're not the same thing. And so yeah. when we do um, you know, games of the year rankings over on the channel or something more approaching objectivity. There are other measures to take in versus it's fun to just be like, what, what 10 games of last year yes. actually hit your personal top 10? And then maybe it's an Atari game from 1974. I don't know. What <laughs> they, I don't know. So sometimes we uh, record these podcasts for video, Scott Tilford. Yeah. In this one in particular, I'm so glad we're not. So <laughs> <laughs> I catch the murder that's going to be on screen. That's it. Sometimes YouTube comments can be lovely. Sometimes they can't, sometimes they're not lovely, but I like to think, hopefully, we've created a nice safe space yes. in this podcast, and uh, just know what you're in for. All the listening games. will be, well, at least understand. They don't yeah. have to agree. <laughs> no, at least understand. The last one that we did, um, there's a lot of nice feedback to that. A lot of people yeah. really enjoyed the back and forth. There are some ridiculous picks in here, although at the same time, obviously, I'm going to stand by it. I'm, I'm not doing a thing. It's not banter. I do think my top 10 here is very, very solid, and the games are from 2023. Mm. Um, some stuff um, got remastered. That got re-released in 2023, um, which reminded me so much of the debate that we had in like 2019 or whatever about Crash Bandicoot being on the top 10. Yeah, and I was like, no, that doesn't work at all. But yeah. this is my revenge now because <laughs> I can I can put a Final Fantasy Pixel remaster in the actual top 10. <laughs> uh, I did want to say though, um, and we'll I'll probably re revisit this in general. Although I do think that like obviously as the turn of the year happens, it's yeah. like 2023 feels like ages ago now. Yeah, like the actual New Year fireworks and everything feels like ages ago. Um, but yeah, we're gonna go back and forward. We've got some honorable mentions and everything else. I just thought it was funny when. I started putting this together, I was like, I'm not even thinking of Mortal Kombat 1 because of how disappointing the end of that game story is. I'm not even thinking about Spider-Man 2 because I only really enjoyed the traversal in that and thought the story was pretty terrible. Mm. Um, I'm not even thinking about Sea of Stars because that game's combat was a huge disappointment um, and the story is a huge disappointment. And I'm not even thinking about Resident Evil 4 because I had a lovely enough time with it, but it doesn't crack my top 10. I do have honorable mentions, but what do you think? Well, this is why this podcast was the first thing I wanted to do when I mm. came back because there are so many, so many games that just came out last year generally, mm -hmm. but... Um, so many that I didn't get to talk to you about. So to find out that you thought the end of Mortal Kombat 1 was so disappointing that it doesn't make the list mm. and you didn't really like Marvel's Spider-Man 2 story, to me, that's that's selfishly what I'm here for. It's not <laughs> to reveal my top 10. It's to get your opinions and have those conversations. But uh -huh. I think this might be the most um, different our top 10 lists of the year Um have ever been. Mm. I don't imagine we'll have much crossover. Even the games that you mentioned there mm. may or may not feature on my list. And I think generally, I don't want to speak for you, but you've said before that, you know, there were a lot of good games last year, but very few that stuck. Yeah. I kind of had the opposite experience where this is the first time since I started this job, actually, where the entirety of the top 10 
was tough to order. Not right. only the top three to five are really tough, and everything after that comes quite um, easily. Mm-hmm. Here, I have a top ten that I was really worried about in terms of placement, and I have eight honorable mentions that I'm not going to spend too much time on, don't worry. <laughs> um, that could have been in there. And right. that's, like, not everything I played. You know, I've left off a bunch of games that I played and didn't think even deserved an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Warlong Fallen Dynasty gets in that bracket. Who played that? But in, in my head, like, I'll stand by, like, last year was I was devouring games and they were devouring me in a, in a, in a really good way. That was my thing too. I mean, I, I like to think that I kept up with everything. It was a ludicrous year, like yeah. for gaming. Like I, I went, At the end of the year when I taught it up, I'd played, I think it was like 63 games and I'd beaten about 38 of them or something. It was in the 30s that I'd, I'd completed. Um, and that was obviously all the big ones and everything else. So it wasn't a big selection. Um, just super quick honorable mentions. I want to throw in Sweeker Game into here, which was the, uh, the sort of physics-based dropper game that released towards the end of the year that was then on like Famitsu's most important games of last year. Right. Um, I remember just getting Sweeker Game because it was in number one on the eShop and it was like 99 pence or something. And it is a very like addictive, super simple game where you're just dropping pieces of fruit together and if it's the same type, they morph into a bigger piece and you're trying to get the biggest piece possible on a chart. Super, super simple. And now there's a million clones of it all over the the um, Android store and, and, and phone shops and everything. But yeah, Sweeker Game, I want to shout out Aka R and the making of Karateka, um, which are like the um, digital extremes games where they've gone in and they're um, like, well, a lot of them are like remakes of old stuff from the 70s like there's a whole Atari revitalist project going on at the minute like Atari 50 last year yeah before sorry 2022 was um, sitting down with a lot of the key creators of Atari like just talking through the projects they were on there was such a big deal for the 70s and then you can actually play through them like as they're talking about them and I'm like that's such a cool thing Yeah, every single studio needs to do that like um, Last of Us 2 has that with the Lost Levels like the remaster for Last of Us 2 and the director's commentary and all that kind of stuff it seems like that's what that's going to be um, my other ones were Assassin's Creed Mirage Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood, Venba, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, some biggies yeah. in there. Games I'm, that like I had a lot of fun with. They were solid enough. They were enjoyable. And um, I love Venba so much. Star Wars Jedi Survivor, I just couldn't couldn't sanction it being in the top 10, even though I had a lovely time with it. For the most part, yeah. it was just such a broken mess. Um, and then Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, that game's too close to Breath of the Wild. I don't, I don't care how many people try to tell me that it's different enough. It's too close. It has the same structure. It's the same animations across the board. It is the same thing. Maybe we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Maybe perhaps. we will. I still enjoyed it a lot. But My um, honorable mentions are the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, which Ooh. is the first time I've ever got into an asymmetrical mm. multiplayer game like that. You know, I've... Well, I, I dabbled in Evil Dead the game, of course. I really mm. enjoyed that. Well, you could. I'm, they shut it down. <laughs> that's it. I'm talking... It's what I would describe as a more traditional version of that. Even though you have four villains here against four survivors, it felt more of like a game of cat and mouse, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Loved Blasphemous 2. Thought that was a really great sequel, though I did have a similar problem that that you have with Zelda in that I thought it was a little bit too similar mm. to the original. Mm-hmm. And I've chucked the PSVR 2 in as a whole in my honorable mentions because I thought while if I could put a piece of hardware on my list, that absolutely would get on it. But the lack of first-party exclusives mm. meant that I couldn't single out anything in particular. But I loved my time with that in all of the ports that came over. Mm. Final Fantasy 16 is on here. Because, oh, my God. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this one later on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we did a whole podcast on this that I'll direct people to before we get into <laughs> the chat proper. Uh-huh. I've got a horror game on here called No One Lives Under the Lighthouse, which was a lovely little find for me, very much dabbling in the um, sort of retro aesthetic horror subgenre that mm. I've 
enjoyed so much across the past year or so. Really atmospheric, really interesting story-wise. If you're a fan of The Lighthouse, the movie, you'll probably get a kick out of this. Mm -hmm. I've got Dead Island 2 on here because I thought that was just a complete surprise. I wasn't expecting anything from Dead Island 2, but that turned out really well. Mm -hmm. The Dead Space remake, which was solid. And... One that was really vying for the top 10 place, uh, Dredge. Dredge was amazing. Oh, Dredge was incredible. I should have had Dredge on my... I knew there'd be something that came up that, like... Because you're going through so many games. Yeah. And I was, like, looking back through all my console libraries and everything. And um, I remember thumbing over Dredge, and for whatever reason, I think it's because of how far back in my mind 2023 now is. I thought that was too old to be included. <laughs> but no, Dredge is incredible. Um, so I don't have Dredge in my top 10. That is very much an honorable mention. I love my time with that game. Um, we'll go back and forward then, and we'll see how far we get with these. Depends on... We've only got a certain amount of time in this little studio. We certainly Until do. we get kicked out. Turns out there's a lot of wrestling that happens. Apparently, on the weekend i watched some of it not all of it um, but still yeah we're gonna get kicked out at some point so we might end up splitting the podcast into two halves and um, but my number 10 and um, completely subjective games of the year 2023 is like a dragon guy den oh. the man who erased his name please which tell me more is a thing that started as a dlc um for yakuza 7 and um, obviously that franchise is like for the most part completely embraced its eastern name now it is just like a dragon um, and this is something like i said that started as a dlc it's a side story it's what's happened to kiryu who's the main character or was the main character for the first six main games um yakuza a seven like a dragon switched over to Ichiban Kazuga or Kazuga, yeah, Ichiban Kazuga. Um, and so he's the new main dude. And then in the upcoming, um, like a dragon infinite wealth, you play as both Kiryu and Ichiban. But the whole thing in Yakuza history, um, because the games were called Yakuza for one to six, um, is that uh, Kiryu <laughs> he's died multiple times. You basically got like the like at this point, the the whole franchise's tone is like this really over the top anime Bollywood like approach to action, and it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite franchises of all time. I've loved it since the very, very beginning. Um, and so it's one of those things where Kiryu is meant to be dying. He he died at the end of Yakuza 6, and then post-credits, they reveal he's actually still alive. He just faked his death. Right. And so in The Man That Erased His Name, it's all about him, and because it was after Yakuza 7's release, it was an excuse to play back as Kiryu again. Um, and it's just the most over-the-top stupid thing uh, where they make it so that he... <laughs> Faked his death by aligning with uh, this group called the Daidoji, and they're like this super like Illuminati bunch of men in black secret agents. And they give him, <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> they give him a bunch of like uh, like spy gadgets, and they like set him to work like under you know under the um, the like crime syndicates of the world to go and do their various deeds and everything. He doesn't like that that very much, and the way the story pans out is just ridiculous. Um, because his solution to everything is like he has such a strict moral code, and if you get in the way, he'll just say no even if there's like a room of people pointing guns at him or something he, and he'll find a way to get out of it usually he just punches his way out of it Amazing. or whatever but the fight choreography is brilliant the team uh, Ryu Gagatoku studio are having so much fun with revisiting Kiryu and being like you know there's this dude who's like supposed to be dead no one knows who he is There are there's a hilarious scene where a guy looks straight at him and doesn't know who he is he's the most famous dude in the entire <laughs> franchise um, because he has glasses on it's the Clark Kent thing right, and it's okay. like under those glasses I can't tell who you are and it's I just so good um, and so, yeah, I had a lot, a lot of fun with that. A lot of it is filler. That's why it's my number 10, because um, they're bringing back a lot of the mini games and a lot of the like things that you can grind on, like the pocket racing. You can spend ages in this optional fighting tournament that's in there. You have to do some of it for the main story, but you can then choose to just like level up and do more fighting stuff in this tournament um, and build this sort of like faction crew to like take on other groups and stuff. Um, there's a lot of things like that where the story won't progress until you've reached another rank in this other side thing. You can tell it was a DLC made into a full game. Yeah. But I just think that the um, cutscene direction, the character writing, no one is written better or more consistently than Kiryu. Like right. in gaming 
writing history. Like he's such a great like North Star for fun, cool writing, um, and a studio that knows exactly what they've got with him. So um, I had an absolute blast with like a dragon and um, a guy down, and I initially wasn't that bothered about it because yeah. like like I said, they killed him off in Yakuza Five. He came back. They killed him in Yakuza Six. He came back. But if you're gonna keep bringing him back, do it as a super secret agent with a one of his gadgets. Sorry, one of <laughs> no, his keep gadgets going. is a Spider-Man gadget. You hold square and you can fire a web out to catch a guy and then fling them around the, the, yes. the room. Like you can summon drones, you can throw an explosive on the ground. Like it's just, it's all the hard hitting old school <clears throat> Yakuza combat that the franchise used to be known for, which is in a way even more refreshing because Yakuza 7 was the switch into turn based and that's what they're doing going forward. That was going to be my next question. You read my mind. I ah. was going to ask um, if I, my memory was failing me because Yakuza 7 was the one where they pivoted the switch, into yeah. turn based combat. There have been so many Like a Dragon games that have released over the past few years that as someone who is not a fan, mm. but as you know, desperately wants to be, it feels so impenetrable because it's you've huge, got yeah. so many spin-offs, so many sequels. And at this point, I kind of don't know what is a <laughs> true sequel and what isn't. So right. I kept getting confused between the man who erased his name yep. and Guy Den, and yep. then you've obviously got the spin-off Ishin, which released at the start of last year. Yeah. There's so much Like a Dragon oh, content, God. which I imagine is absolutely sensational if you're you are in that fandom. Yeah, and the thing is, like Yakuza 7, because they made it all turn-based and you're switching main characters, you can't just start with that one. I know the turn-based will put some people off, and I would wait for Infinite Wealth, because that game has a lot more refinements to what makes a good turn-based model. Like My thing with 7 was that the characters were moving around as you were putting inputs in, so you're trying to line up moves and your character might move out the way, mm. or you might charge at someone and an NPC walking across the street will just get in the way or something. Right. That would be infuriating. Infinite Wealth seems like it's fixed all that. Um, but yeah, overall, as a nice little, just uh, it's very tight, it's only like five, six, seven hours long. Yeah. Um, you can make it, I've made it longer by doing the fighting, the optional stuff, but I imagine if you just mainline the main story, um, you could do it in a weekend. But it's just, it's just such a cool game. At this point, I know when we used to talk about Like a Dragon, I think you used to recommend either Yakuza 0 or Yakuza 6 as a starting point? Oh, not 6. I would, I would have said 0 because that's set before everything and you play as Kiryu um, and Majima who's like the, the biggest villain in the series. He's like the Joker of Yakuza, like a dragon. Right, right. Um, but in 0, you play as him and you kind of find out a bit about why he is how he is. So I would go 0, but that has the old combat model. It's like before they change the physics. It's still yeah. fighting. Fight, I'm moving my fists there, but it's still fighting. Um, or I um, go with one of the remakes of 1 or 2. Right. Uh, Yakuza Kiwami, or the, is Kiwami 1 and Kiwami 2 are the remakes of 1 and 2. Yakuza Kiwami 2 has the new uh, physics model in. Yeah. So, like, in a way, you, I would just go with 0. Or just go with 3. <laughs> Three's the one that I first finished because I played 1 and 2 and I didn't... I didn't uh, play a whole one until I played all the way through three. I'm getting the idea that they are all good. <laughs> they're really they're good. all worth playing. Oh, dude, they're really, really good. That's why I wouldn't say go with six because six is probably the weakest one. You know what? When I was off, I should have just mainlined all of those games. Oh, I would have finally had the time to penetrate that series yeah. and understand what the hell was going on when you at speak point, these words at me. It'd be cool if you ever played like just any of them because they've got such a specific feel. Yeah. Um, and like if you play a little, I wouldn't recommend doing a load of them in a row. I think they work because they're one year, two. It used to be in the past, it was, you know, many years in between the Western releases didn't line up with the Eastern ones. But now the franchise is so big that we're getting them mostly in time with the East as well. Um, but, like, <clears throat> I would just say that, like, to... No, approach like the way that they um, do cities and like you know interact. All the food is like proper food. Like they have a lot of licensed stuff in there, and it's just like there's something about taking a little mini vacation in that space every few years that is just lush. Yeah, you were saying that you, I can't remember what the exact city is on the main strip of the city that you get to explore in mm. those earlier games. But mm. weren't you playing that in preparation for you yourself going to Japan yeah, to yeah, visit yeah. that same street? Totally. Like there's um the in uh, Yakuza or like a dragon. It's called Kamurocho, and in real life it's called Kabukicho. And it's like I went to that street. I stood under the sign. 
There's like this massive sign. This is specific sign. Um, like a dragon fans will know exactly what I mean. And um, yeah, like there's a lot of little things that um, it it does the whole virtual tourism thing immaculately well. And it does mean that they reuse a lot of assets in terms of the environments um, from game to game. But they've stuck with it since the very beginning. That mm. it's kind of a signature trait. It doesn't excuse the negatives of doing that. But um, and some of their stuff does feel like it's tacked on, like Yakuza Six. But um, yeah, when they do it well, it's phenomenal. Amazing. Oh, dude, what was your number ten? My number ten is Lies of P, a game oh. that came out of nowhere last year for me. Obviously, I was always going to try to play it because it looked so much like Bloodborne, mm. and anything that looks like Bloodborne <coughs> means it instantly has my attention. Mm-hmm. But on paper, this thing shouldn't have worked, in my opinion. It's from a relatively new developer, I think. Mm. It's a Souls-like game starring Pinocchio (laughs) based on the world of Pinocchio. And that just sounds like a mad sort of boardroom cocaine idea that would never actually result in anything good. And as such, when it was coming to the two big Souls-like games coming out at the end of 2023, those, of course, being Lies of P and Lords of the Fallen, my money was on Lords of the Fallen all the way to be like the game that can stand up against from software titles and oh how wrong I was because it was Liza P that came ahead as like the the fan favorite darling and as I was saying last week on the podcast that we did on Game Pass and where Xbox is I wouldn't have played this if it wasn't on Game Pass day Mm. one but it was I jumped in and I was so surprised by the amount of quality that was within this game. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it looks incredible. It's it's so visually interesting, not just in terms of the hardware going into it and the amount of, you know, horsepower that it has, but in terms of its art design, like this dark funfair world with these twisted automatons and these kind of infected creatures worked way more than I ever thought it would. It has such a rich atmosphere to it that mm-hmm. I found myself interested in Pinocchio law in a way that I never <laughs> ever thought I would be but I was. That was one of the biggest questions with because I, I played the demo and last year was when I finally admitted to myself that I'm done with the Souls genre. Yeah. Uh, I just I just I'm done. So uh, I didn't play Liza P and I didn't play Lords of the Fall and there were the only two sort of like notable gaps in my resume I would have said. Um but that whole Pinocchio thing was such an interesting pivot or an interesting idea to frame a Souls game around. Like there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of that in there. Okay. I'm going to spoil the post credit scenes for Liza P. I've heard so much about these. For the next two minutes, right? So okay. just skip ahead a little bit. Okay. Because, um, I won't. But I won't. Uh, you won't, of course no. you won't. But I need to talk about how mad it is. Please so, tell I want to know everything about this. The final cutscene of this game teases in... A, a, a Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, either <laughs> DLC or sequel, right? You see Dorothy's red shoes walk across <laughs> the map, and she does that thing, you know, that she does in Wizard of Oz where she clicks her heels together yeah, to yeah. get home. She does that. So they're setting up like a cinematic universe, Scott Tilford, that has Wizard of Oz connections. Rise of A. And Dorothy, and you know what? That popped me so much in the moment, I almost, I would have pre-ordered it. If yeah. that was available right then, I'd have gone, yeah. You've convinced me so much that that oh. madness 
absolutely works. I almost blacked uh, out there. I, so many people <laughs> talked about the end of Liza P and, and the people who had finished it going like, you have no, you're have, you not ready. You have no idea. And I was like, what could they have done? Yeah. That's great. It is. The thing is, I, over the Christmas, or, or very, very recently, Steamboat Willie came up for, is in the public domain as well. Yeah. Maybe they do a Steamboat Willie one. Well, you've got a bunch of stuff like that, right? Obviously, you had the, uh, well, I say obviously as mm. if like anyone watched this movie, but you had a movie last year called it was called Pooh, Blood, and Honey or yeah. something. Yeah, did you watch that? I did not watch that. Good, looked, okay, good, good. It looked atrocious, yeah. man. Uh, which was, um, you know, based on Winnie the Pooh, because that entered the public domain, or at least a version of him did. Mm-hmm. So they did a horror, mature uh, film There's already about been it. a Steamboat Willie one. Exactly, yeah. right? So they're just taking these characters and making, like, these uh, public domain versions of them. But mm. if if <laughs> the Lies of P team can do that with those characters and, and accomplish the same caliber of game that they did with Liza P, I'm all for it because the combat of this thing mm. is silky smooth. Okay. It is impactful. It is difficult, extremely difficult at times, but there's so much variation to it that it remains rewarding. Mm. I like the sort of central mechanic that it utilizes, which is you pick up a lot of weapons within the game, but you have so much opportunity to customize your loadout because you can change the handle of weapons from their so from the main body of it so you can swap like the hilt of something or say like the hilt of a short sword and put it on like a great club and attach them ah. together and you'll get different sort of attacks you'll get different right. buffs and stuff like that so the moment to moment combat is pretty much what you'd expect from a souls like but the bosses are where this thing shines and truth be told you know, I like to think that I've played enough Souls-like games that I, I'm at least all right at them. I'm pretty good. I, <laughs> I would say you're remember. above the average. You're doing very. Trying to be humble, but uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in general, whenever we talk about these things, like yeah. I'll, I'll, me or anyone else in the room will have struggled, and you'll have been like second time, first <laughs> yeah. time, like not too bad. Well, this is the thing. I, I've played those games to death, and mm-hmm. I just know the rhythms of them. So it means that when I jump into a new game, like Mortal Shell, for instance, I have, you know, obviously I'm not breezing through it, but it's not like playing Dark Souls for the first time, no, right? Yeah. It's, I don't have that. They don't have that same level of challenge. But Lies of P's bosses. I had to learn how to play the game in a different way. I had to understand its mechanics and how they differed from Dark Souls or Bloodborne and use its unique features and ideas to take these bosses down. And they were an absolute joy. They were visually Mm. spectacular. They were so unique. There were so many different variations and different attack styles and different play styles that I had to utilize to fight these things. And every single time a boss popped up, it was met with either true joy in how outrageous <laughs> the boss itself was mm-hmm. alongside um, true despair because I knew it was going to take me about two hours to um, fight. Uh, I think it's an incredible game. If you like Souls-like games, i definitely check it out. And there's a great, um, is it Joseph Anderson? The YouTuber, YouTuber yeah. who did a who did a video on it, um, which kind of echoes all of my thoughts, especially about the bosses as well, which I definitely recommend you check out because mm-hmm. uh, it, that game just has so many surprises up its sleeve and it was... Oh, man, it's so good. I feel like in the run-up to it, it was like, this is the Bloodborne we've been waiting for. And I don't know if it was the Pinocchio aspect of it or whatever, but it, it feel like it fizzled out a little bit once people found out more about it. And then it was like it reviewed well enough. And then it just didn't seem to maintain that level of hype. Like, there was a there was a whole thing about, like, we're still waiting for a Bloodborne patch for PS5 and that kind of stuff. And so when Liza P came out, it was like, this is the thing. This Go play this. This is near enough Bloodborne. I don't know, like, from your point of view, whether it does scratch the Bloodborne itch enough or whether it does work as, like, a stand-in for what a, what a new-gen Bloodborne might have been or something, or a Bloodborne sequel kind of thing, obviously without the lore stuff. 
Um, but yeah, that side of it is, uh, I feel like it kind of became this like hidden gem or this cult classic and the people who have played it absolutely love it. Um, but it did, for whatever reason, it didn't blow up. I feel like Lords of the Fallen had more traction than yeah. um, in the end in terms of people just saying, oh, look at this kind of thing. I think maybe because like we were saying, you know, on paper, it is kind of a, it's a difficult sell, man. Like mm. it looks so similar to Bloodborne when you watch a trailer mm-hmm. that you might just think of it as being like derivative, but worse because it has this Pinocchio um, <laughs> layer to to it, but yeah. there was so much unique to what Liza P was bringing to the table that I, you know, discovered as I was playing it that made me realize, oh, okay, this isn't just trying to eat from software's lunch. It's taking that formula mm. and doing its own spin on it, which I really appreciated. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just couldn't believe the scope of it. And like I said, how much variation there was to the game. I think that if you're wanting a classic Souls-born experience, which I would sometimes characterized as much by their, not open worlds, but explorable worlds, Mm. as I would characterize by their combat. You don't quite get that here. Like, the levels are big, but there's not a lot of, you know, shortcuts or interlocking areas or anything like that. It's quite a linear game. But if that's the trade-off that was required to get the variety in terms of locations and enemies and encounters, I'm kind of all right with that. I think as a game as well, as a final execution of an idea, of a vision, it's just good to have. Like yeah. the, the industry is so like caught up in um, the amount of layoffs that we had and the amount of um, you know projects that get, get greenlit based on this. It's a giant franchise. And it has to be this thing. Obviously, there's the Pinocchio element to it, but it's such a unique looking, like um, unique feeling uh, approach to a game that I'm just glad it did well at all. Yes. Um, and it's that it's available. Like I said, I played the beta. I thought it was very, very chunky and solid. And I was like, I totally get what this is. I've done too much of this for 10 years now. And I need to step away from that genre for a bit. Um, my number nine is Gravity Circuit, a game that had maybe the soundtrack of the year. Um, just a phenomenal, I don't spend too long on it because I talked about it in the um, the overall games of the year thing last year. Um, but it's like a, a Mega Man, if Mega Man was melee, basically, um, just a super tight side scroller with a really chunky combat. You eventually unlock things like a two, like a pile driver. You can grab an enemy and spin around and slam them on someone else. Um, you can grab, a, grab other enemies and throw them into other enemies. I have such a soft spot for just really tight 2D games. And there's that whole age-old debate on um, can games, are games just potentially better if they're 2D because there's less parameters to tighten and you can really get to the heart of a really good uh, feeling video game because you can be completely at one with the controls in a way that a 3D space might not let you. Mm. Um, I don't fully go with that, but there are so many just immaculate 2D games and this is one of them. Um, and like I said, the music is just phenomenal. Sadly, it's not on Spotify, but it is on like Bandcamp and YouTube. Um, so I've just sat listening to that all the time. Um, it's just such a great, groovy, stylish game with just the best combat, best 2D combat, I think, of the year, as I looked on the rest of my list. Um, I absolutely loved it. Was this the one just before I had my break that you said was, like, really difficult as well? Or was that a In different spots, side yeah. scro- oh, scroller where I just remember you saying, like, I got to this bit last night and it was uh, it was so tough, but, oh like, in God. a good way, not in a... In a in oh, a, well, in I a... mean, yeah, that might have been what... I forget when uh, when Gravity Circuit came out, but, yeah, it might have been in around about September. But, um, yeah, it's on Switch. It's on um, Steam and stuff, I think. But I played it on Switch. And um, yeah, the final boss, oh my God, that was the hardest thing of the year for me. Right. Um, must have tried about 50, 60 tries. Like it, it took it out of me. Like, you know, when you have a, a thing that's so hard where after a while it's like, this is, you're taking my soul now. Yeah. Like I'm just, I am spending my life force beating this thing. Um, and I just couldn't do it. And after all, I eventually did it. And I was like, oh my God, just, I'm so glad to be free of that. Um, I think that, because um, you spec quite a lot uh, in terms of different power-ups that you get and you get different um, armor boosts and 
and stuff like that. And so there probably is a specific combo that you could have done to make it easier. I had what I thought was a decent enough setup. It was just that at some point the screen is filled with projectiles and different things to avoid and enemies to kill that you're trying to thread the needle, which is obviously yeah. how these games nearly always go anyway. And for the most part, I'm pretty I'm comfortable with that. Um, but it, it gets down to a point where it's like, I need to jump here, then kill this, then go here, then do this. And if I am a pixel off, I am dead. Yeah. And it's just like... That whole thing, um, can, like I said, can be super rewarding. Um, but that's only the very, very end of the game, and I think you probably could knock it down to easy or whatever. I think there's difficulty levels, I forget now. Um, but still, overall, just as soon as you start controlling it, it's like, oh, this is perfect. I, I know you've just gushed about it there. Where mm. does it rank alongside some of the other um, great 2D or 2.5D side-scrollers that we've had across the past few years? Prefer it to Super Mario Wonder. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And I was looking forward to Super Mario Wonder. Super Mario Wonder, that was another one that I didn't even put on my honorable mentions. It's not that it's a bad game. It's just that it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And for as much as in Wonder's case, they advertised all these new mushroom powers and you take the, sorry, Wonder Flower powers, you take all those things. I thought they kind of showed everything in the trailers. There wasn't really anything in the main game that blew me away. Um, and it was just a very short levels. Like very, very it's, You can argue it's because it's going to be a lot of people's first Mario. They've got the Mario movie. Um, it'll be a whole generation, a whole bunch of kids, new Mario game. And they'll have an absolute blast with it. I know our Michael Sidgwick from the Russian channel is absolutely loving it. And it's not that I don't. It's just that it didn't blow me away enough where I was like, oh my god you need to see this if you've seen the trailers you've kind of already seen it a lot of those gimmicks come from visuals and not necessarily gameplay changes i wasn't intentionally setting you up for that but ah. i'm pleased i did because it just allows me to jump further into your brain scott Hilbert. <laughs> that was the thing just yeah that, that was the whole thing with gravity circuit where i was like beat like moment to moment second to second i was grinning like a madman nice. and i was mostly doing that in wonder um but just not to the same degree i mm. think gravity circuit is just just a super tight game if you like 2d 2d games and the idea of really chunky melee based stuff and you can get some charge attacks and projectile things too um it's awesome i know you love a soundtrack as well so i'm oh my that's on spotify for i would you play, to play it right now if i could <laughs> <laughs> my um number nine scott tilford is amnesia the bunker oh, and yeah. i kind of want to come straight out the gate and say that in terms of polish in terms of like mechanical robustness it's probably not on the same level of some of my honorable mentions, either even like Final Fantasy 16 or mm. Dead Space or Dredge or anything like that, or mm. Blasphemous 2, which I really enjoyed. Um, but Amnesia the Bunker is one of those games that I jumped into and didn't expect to still be thinking about months and months later. Mm. I'm not an Amnesia fan, in fact. Having played the original Amnesia Dark Descent years after it kind of got popular, mm. I thought it, I appreciated what it spawned, but I, its style of horror just wasn't for me. And as such, I kind of dabbled in the sequels, but never really got into it in a way where I would call myself a true fan of the franchise. Mm. So, jumping into Amnesia The Bunker, which takes a much more gameplay focused approach to the series by actually giving you offensive capabilities this time, like a gun or a grenade or some flares to actually fight back in a way that you couldn't in previous installments. Mm -hmm. That excited me. The fact that it was set in a World War I bunker where you're facing off against an entity, I just thought that sounded really cool. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, in practice, all of those things ticked every box possible for me. The atmosphere of this underground bunker is amazing. The sound design is incredible. Mm. I love the fact that you don't know if a kind, kind of rattle in the next room was the monster or if it was just um, the impact of shelling on right. top of the... Um, 
ground that you're under. Mm. I love the way that it kind of plays with your expectations of what to expect from a horror game in mm. that regard. I think the monster design is quite cool. I like the way that you're encouraged to almost play it, at least in my opinion, like a roguelike. Right. You only have one save point in the entire game, which is in your kind of safe zone. And all of the areas sort of spiral out from there. Mm. They're like kind of like tentacles that all weave back to this one area. And the gameplay itself is based around mechanical trial and error, which I love. I mm. love the fact that, for instance, instead of, you know, like there are so many ways to take down a door, which might sound strange, right. but what I mean by that is if you come up against a locked door, it's not like inaccessible. You can blow it up. You can like smash it down, but <laughs> everything you do in the game has a sort of risk reward element to it. Obviously, if you smash down the door, you're going to make a lot of noise. Mm. Even revving up your flashlight, it, it, it works kind of like a, one of those old lawnmowers or a chainsaw <laughs> where you have to like pull the chain, but that makes a lot of noise, That's so you great. might alert the monster. And d- having those trial and error runs of, you know, what is going to work? How can I improvise my way around this area <clears throat> and escape? Death mm-hmm. was just always so intense. And as someone with an anxiety disorder... You're steering I, into it. I'm steering into it. <laughs> it was genuinely with that in mind. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I was racked with anxiety playing that game because there's so much you have to think about. Every time you set out from the safe room, you have to make sure there was enough gasoline in the generator to keep the lights on. Otherwise, mm. you're going to see the monster more. You have to, you know, you only have a limited inventory space. So you have to balance the amount of resources you actually take out into the world. And there's so much to consider. It's so tense. And unlike a lot of horror games where once you die, the tension's kind of alleviated Mm. and you just kind of become frustrated. This never did for me. Mm -hmm. And I love the way it escalates as you find new um, areas and find new items and kind of, like I said, can combine them in interesting ways. I love the fact that you can attack the monster, but it'll get stronger every time it comes back. So originally you can use one of your few bullets to shoot it. 
but then the next time it it attacks you, it'll take two bullets to scare That's it off. That's a really cool system. Stuff like that, man, just like makes you think about what you have in your inventory in a way that even some of the survival horror greats like Resident Evil 2 mm. don't quite. And mm. I just, I know it's not going to be for everyone. It's way more of a niche product than any of the other games that I have on my list, probably. But in terms of horror games that I played last year, this one just has stuck with me and I think about it all the time. That's honestly that whole <clears throat> way that you've described it. My throat will not play ball, but the <laughs> way that you described it when we talked about it earlier in the year last year, um, I didn't end up getting it. It was on PlayStation Plus for a bit or on Game Pass. It was on one of the two and I downloaded it. Um, I still would like to get around to it. I feel like just the way you describe it is awesome. I just can't tell if I'll get if I'll get annoyed by what I imagine are the alien isolation isms of it, um, where you just get grabbed from behind by the thing or like you're just trying to, you're just about to achieve the next milestone and you get killed and it's like, okay, do that run again and um, yeah going through all the roguelike stuff in like god of war valhalla i was like i think i, I think i hate roguelikes for the most yeah. part unless the level itself is also randomized like in rogue legacy or um I, to, to a degree hades but if i'm just redoing the same thing over and over again i think i can get tired of it that sounds awesome though um and i would yeah like i said i'd like to get around to it eventually um my number eight well eventually we'll get a game that we line up on i think we will <laughs> when i get to my number seven but my number eight is theater than final bar line um which is a um final <laughs> so much final fantasy in mine. Um, I grouped some stuff together in this because my top 10 would have just been all the different Final Fantasies that yeah. I went through last year. Um, but Theatrhythm Final Barline um, is the follow-up to the DS, or 3DS game, um, and it's just a rhythm game based around Final Fantasy music. If you're a Final Fantasy fan, you know about Nobu Yumatsu, you know about um, the overall audio footprint that Final Fantasy has. It's some of the best music ever written, like regardless of medium, um, and the ability to just play through all of that was magical. Like, I mean, they have a cool few things in here too. Um, like, I do think it's obviously very solid as an overall package, but I fell in love with it just as a Final Fantasy fan um, because you can, you make a team of four characters that are just battling underneath the, um, the, 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 like, the buttons that are on screen, essentially. I couldn't think what you call the, the tracks that are going along the screen yeah. that you would get in a rhythm game. And um, you've got everybody fighting underneath. So if you want to put all your favorite villains or heroes or any mix of anybody together, you can. Um, graphics don't look great in terms of the character models and everything. It's very, very simple, but it totally does the job. And they have all the official recordings and everything. Um, over time, Square Enix have um, put more in there, like Nier Automata's soundtrack is in there, um, and various other Square Enix games are in there. Um, but for the most part, it just is this Final Fantasy archive. And as someone who's played through, obviously, like back in the day, like 7 through 10 and then 12 and whatever, 13, 15, everything else, um, going, like there's all those soundtracks, but then going through the Pixel remasters, I would go through a Pixel remaster, love it, and then I would go on Theatre with Final Barline and play through all the music for it. Oh, and it's that. Just, that was just a one-two for all those games where I was like, I'm in such a bubble with Final Fantasy. Um, and it made me realize across all of last year that I just do not get sick of that franchise. It's always been one of my favorites. But um, I'm currently going back through Final Fantasy X again. Again. I just cannot get enough of the whole thing. So um, that's all I need to say about Theatre with Final Barline. But if you're a Final Fantasy fan, um, it's a bit off-putting how much the price is. It's a pre They're pricing it very premium because it's Square Enix. Um, I traded a bunch of games in to get it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but if you're a Final Fantasy fan, um, there's so much here to just go, oh my God, they included that. Oh my God, I can play through this. Um, it's beautiful. And like, yeah, all the remixes of songs are in there from over the years. Advent Children stuff is in there from the movie. Um, for Final Fantasy 7 but you obviously have all the original games and everything else and um, they also did a Final Fantasy 16 add-on pack um, which is gorgeous 16's nice. music is otherworldly good um, so that's all I'll say about Theater Rhythm unless you have any questions no but I was just going to say that uh, one of my favourite things last year 
to share with you was <laughs> your final fantasy Step into this bubble with me, bro. journey. Yeah, it was, man. It was great to see your enthusiasm for it. It was great to uh, watch you play through all of those games and recommend them and say mm. why you love them. Goals. And you went to see the orchestra as well, right? I, the live I, orchestra. Um, I had such a year of Final Fantasy. Yeah. I was telling uh, Final Fantasy 16's Ben Starr about this. Um, <laughs> but I ran into it with the golden joysticks. Which the golden, yeah, golden, golden joysticks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't think. There's so many golden thingies that have been out. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to run into him and a massive shout out to Ben Starr. Dude was the loveliest man ever and knew our work and knew me, which blew me away. Um, so shout out to that dude. But yeah, I had this overall year of Final Fantasy. I was lucky enough to go to Japan and go to the Final Fantasy Cafe, um, saw the Final Fantasy Orchestra, Distant Worlds, um, met Ben Starr, which was ridiculous, um, played Final Fantasy 16, and then played through a bunch of the Pixel remasters and Theatre Than Final Barline. Ludicrous. What a good year. Ridiculous <laughs> year. Uh, it was absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, that was my number eight. My number eight is The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Ooh. And it's, it's, you know, we did that really long podcast way back when this game launched. Mm. And we had a lot of criticisms. And I still have a lot of criticisms about the game and things that just didn't click with me. But mm. when I think about my time with it, I did really enjoy it. And mm. it's only because the bar was so high and because Breath of the Wild blew me away so much. It sold me on Nintendo as a company. It sold me on the Nintendo Switch. Slander. It sold me on Zelda as an IP. Made me want to play all of those games. <clears throat> it made me love Skyward Sword because of the residual <laughs> enjoyment that I had from Breath of the Wild. Yes. So that bar was almost impossible to meet. Um, you only get to play a franchise for the first time once, and when that entry point is as good as Breath of the Wild, mm. you're pretty much going to be chasing that high ever since. So with that in mind, I still think The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was an absolutely exceptional game. Like I said, I had my problems with it, including how I thought the hardware itself was mm. pulling the game back in terms of visual splendor or knocking me out in the same way that the original did. But the things that it does mechanically with... Um, the physics within the world itself, I, I have no idea how they pulled that miracle <laughs> off and managed to not just break everything. Uh-huh. I liked the new um, temples that you got. I thought the story was um, really good. I liked the changes they made to Hyrule, and I loved the depths. The depths was probably mm. my favorite part about the game because it was... My it least felt like <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> um, for whatever reason, it clicked with me. It felt like new original content. Mm. It gave me the same thrill I got with Breath of the Wild that I was exploring a new unknown area and that there were surprises around every corner. Mm -hmm. I do want to go back and spend more time with it because I put 50, 60 hours into it, finished the main story, of course, but um, I still feel like I have some unfinished business with it in a way, and I wonder whether I do go back to it in a year's time. Will I look back on this list and think, oh, man, you probably should have given that... Uh, a fairer shake, not a fairer shake, but you know what I mean. I know what you put mean. it, put it a little bit higher. Yeah, my thing with Tears was just I couldn't shake how many Breath of the Wild, how much Breath of the Wild was in it, and I, I did love the Skylands, I loved the depths, I like, loved the main story. Like I did really enjoy a lot of my time with it. It was just that I couldn't that objectivity side of it kind of seeped in a bit too much for me, where I just couldn't shake. Like oh, those are the same animations, those are the same sound effect. I'm I'm getting the Korok seeds again. Like I'm going to the same areas, I'm going to the corners of the map again. Like I'm getting the same armor to withstand the fire in the in the fire level again that bled through too much where it just it made me just feel like like I do largely side with the people who in the best 
the intentions possible say it feels like a DLC. Mm. And I almost feel like it, it was just that. I couldn't necessarily shake that. It's not that the things that they do add to it aren't great. I love the Skylands. The depths I had, I had fun with to a point, but after a while I was like, oh my God, I'm sick of the pitch black of everything. <laughs> I just want to get through this area. I'm, I'm spending the time building cool little uh, vehicles and then I fall off a cliff I can't see or whatever it is. And uh, that kind of got annoying after a while. But yeah, the thing that they achieve by turning the entire of an open entirety of an open world into one big dungeon yeah. um, is phenomenal. And like, obviously they haven't necessarily done, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, they haven't necessarily done physics-based puzzles too much in the past where it actually has like freeform physics. Like, mm. yeah, you're rolling something somewhere or you're interacting with levers and things like that. Um, but I love the overall idea of like, what is the lifeblood of Zelda? Um, and like the lifeblood of like, you go back to that original game of just this open space that you're going to figure out and which item works with which door. And like, oh, if I burn this tree, it's actually burns away and there's a staircase and I can go down there. Like they did that back, they brought that back in Breath of the Wild, which is really cool. And then they double down on it in Tears of the Kingdom, which I love. Like I love that overall ethos of you take a, um, you know, like a 35 year old IP. I think it's more than that. I can't think off the top of my head now maths, but it's quite an old IP. Yeah. Um, and then being able to channel those things and be like, no, this is what it is. It's a it's a puzzle-based, figure-it-out kind of game. Um, and it doesn't need to be as sort of straightforward as a lot of the uh, the games in the middle have been. And so I, I definitely appreciate all that stuff. It was just that I couldn't shake how much it felt like I was playing 20, the 2017 game again. Nope, and I get that as well. You know, fortunately, I was in the mood for more of that mm. because I... Um, obviously played so much Breath of the Wild back in the day, but I haven't touched that since 2018, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the stuff that was repeated felt fresh to me just <laughs> simply because of the fact that I'd forgotten that it was yeah. there to begin with, especially some areas of the map where when I was doing direct comparisons, I was like, okay, that is much closer than I um, thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I Like I said, I have my criticism, but I thought the dungeons, like the main dungeons themselves were still better than Breath of the Wild, but still I think the authored content's better, yeah. To me, yeah, it's definitely better, but I would have liked a little bit more. Mm. And a part of the issue I have with it is is definitely a me problem, and that's that I don't have the imagination for a game like this. <laughs> I get the same issue with immersive sims sometimes, right. where I'm let down because once I figure out an optimum route to to accomplish my goals, I'll just do that over and over again. Right. So I made a lot of, you know... Um, balloon rockets that just got me to where I needed to be and I didn't need to improvise hey, they work well. in another way and I kind of wish I could shake that part of myself because there's so much you could accomplish within mm. that sandbox but in, 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 a, in, a, in a way I kind of ruined it for myself because I just kept doing the same thing over well, and over again I, would, I think I said this when we did our big spoiler cast thing but I view that as an issue with the game because like one of the things that happened with Tears of the Kingdom was it went massively viral for the amount of the, the huge mechs you can make and you, you can't build them in the Switch version All that's, you can but like it's going to take 50, 60, 80 hours of just unlocking the Zonai charges to have enough power to build something that's that big. Um, A lot of those things came from the leaked version or the hacked version that was on PC. Um, And it's like I kind of always thought that, you know when games get a build mode, like um, like Teardown has a build mode and Minecraft has a build mode, and like it's not that I wanted that necessarily in Tears of the Kingdom, but they had so much scope where they worked out all these really cool physics systems. But I would hazard a guess that most people playing it didn't actually build a crazy, big, ridiculous thing. They took a plank of wood and put four wheels on it. <laughs> or they, you know, like they put a rocket on a shield and flew straight up. Like I think the game could have done so much more enc- with encouraging you to do those crazy things and give you the ability to do it. Like unless you keep checking in with that one guy that's no 
north of the central hub to get more Zonai stuff. Yeah. And um, and unless you're um, you know exploring the depths to even realize how to do that, um, you can miss out on what is the best part of that game. And even then, like I said, like you can get all, all the way through the main missions without even needing that stuff. And um, there are only certain puzzle solutions that require a level of like I'm going to build this to like float this thing over a ledge or whatever. And you can get around it a different way too. That's both the biggest positive and the biggest negative. Yeah. Like I kind of wish they encouraged you to actually use all that stuff a lot more. I know what you mean. You know, like I felt immense satisfaction where I would create a flying um, death machine Same. raining down absolute carnage on <laughs> the uh, enemies below. And I also felt a major sense of satisfaction where I solved a puzzle in like a unique way, kind mm. of like how I did with Breath of the Wild. But mm. yeah, I think going forward for me personally, Zelda fans may not want this, but I would love to see those mechanics return in an entirely new open world, double down on them, really mm. design missions around using them, keep that sense of verticality and just, um, yeah, push me, <laughs> Josh Brown, more <laughs> uh, to improvise in, in new and different ways rather than relying on the same old tricks. Mm. But that might be impossible. Maybe that's I, just the way my brain's wired. No, I think it's on them to, to bring that stuff out of you. Like, if they need to think of, of ways that would tease that out of you. One of the, Some of the best games should give you new, new thought processes that you didn't have when you were going in. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if they have the exact quote in front of me, in front of me but I'm sure AG and said the next Zelda wouldn't be like this. Mm. Um, I think they said they want to return to something a bit more traditional or whatever. Um, but you have to imagine they would learn from this. Like, it's just the traditional Zelda, like, I mean, there's a few different identities to it over the years, but you still have that standard thing that Ocarina of Time, I mean, well, it goes back further than that, but Ocarina, Ocarina of Time was so big that that became what people think of when they think of Zelda. Um, and I would say that something like Skyward Sword was the absolute breaking point of that, where it was just tedious. Like, fly back over here and get this one item and then fly all the way back over there and do another thing. Yeah. Um, whereas you want to gamify the in-between, which is what Breath of the Wild and Tears did. So you have to imagine they would learn from all that and make this perfect Zelda, where you're like, you know what you want to aim for, but you can do cool things on the way there. Um, I think there's a way that they can do that. Um, hey, so yeah. when your child is seven years old, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see if they actually accomplish that. Oh my god! That's the terrifying thing is that I guess there'll be another, there'll be the the next next Nintendo system will be out by the time my kid <laughs> wants to play that stuff. Um, so we'll see. Um, that was your number eight, I believe. It was number seven, Alan Wake Two, my friend. Oh, the, ooh, ooh. interesting. Oh. Thought that was going to be on your list, but genuinely thought it was going to be a little bit higher. It would be if the story wrapped better. Oh! If, the, if the story was better, if it wasn't so just magical realism, surrealism, we haven't actually written this, we're just going to kind of rely on these other things and hope you fill in the blanks storytelling, then I'd be more with it. But if I'm getting subjective AF, I didn't like the way that story went at all. I didn't really? like that they rely so much on Mr. Scratch, a character from a DLC from the first game that most people haven't played, and they don't flesh him out in Alan Wake 2. They just don't do enough to make the stakes work in that story. Interesting, yeah. man. Did you do a spoiler cast on this? Uh, me and Strong did, yeah. I'm going to go listen to that tonight. <laughs> I am fascinated by that. That is really interesting, especially when you talk there about the sort of surrealism and magical realism and how much it leaves to your imagination. I'm going to shock you, Scott Tilford. I wish it left more to my imagination. <laughs> I wish it left a few more mysteries. There are, of course, ones in there, but uh -huh. th it does something towards the end of the game in a post-credits sequence that I thought could have done without that. You know what I mean? Right. I wish it was a little bit more ambiguous in that way, but mm. that's fascinating, especially coming off the original, which the thing is was way, way more ambiguous, I thought, but... Maybe you ah, see. I, mm, the thing is, like the thing with these games, the thing with Remedy over the years is that they've increasingly like 
you're writing these stories that ha- that are um, set in specific worlds and specific contexts with specific rules, and you're telling me about the rules. You have characters explaining, like, oh, well, this is the dark place. This is the, um, you know, you use the flashlight to use the light, and the light repels the dark place, and, like, there are these different fractured personalities, and that's where this person is. And, like, that whole idea of, like, oh, they're, they're actually physically under the water, but they are stuck, or whatever it is. Like, there's just these different approaches to trying to convey stakes. And overall, in media, like... If you're attempting that, then go all the way with it and, and let me get invested in the rules and the stakes. If you're other, if, like, to the other side, if you're going completely surrealist or interpretational or whatever, uh, more Lynchian, I guess, then that's also fine. But I find that the remedy, the line that Remedy have walked, increasingly walked with mm. Control and now this, is this weird hodgepodge where they want to have a bunch of rules for their universe, like what they brought in in Control, and they want to have the FBs, the Federal Bureau of Control, and they want to have all this, like it all makes perfect actual sense. Mm. And they tell you, like, oh, the events of Alan Wake 2 is actually inside a bubble. Um, like a literal bubble, and that's why everything's distorted. And I'm like, you put that in there to explain exactly what's happening. Right. But then at the same time, you're relying so much on the dark place, and like there are more than one Allens. Like there's the Mr. Scratch, and it's like his evil side or whatever. Um, but Mr. Scratch himself is a character from, like I said, DLC from the original game that they don't really flesh out. He just puts a jacket on at one point and he starts killing people. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine, but like, what are, what is this? Is the real him? His actual body still in the war? Because we explained that before. Like, yes, it's just a whole thing. And I just, the, more towards the end, I saw, I thought it started really leaning on that, oh, we'll just go with it kind of mentality, which comes through in a lot of movies and things like this, where it's like, well, you're having fun, it's the right vibe, just go with it. Like, <sighs> Record Scratch and Death Stranding 2, or Death Stranding 1. Yeah. And it's like, after a while, I was like, I don't even, I don't care anymore. Mm. And then the whole, like, it's not a loop, it's a sp- not a thing, it's a spiral or whatever. And I was like, yeah. Like, I guess this, I get that this whole thing is kind of about the, um, you know, sort of collapsing mentality of a writer who's obsessed with their work. Like, that is obviously the overall framing of it. But I didn't really get much out of it. Interesting. Um, and it was like, other than the vibes, I think it's immaculately put together. I'm obviously focusing on the negatives because we're doing a subjective list. I still think it's incredibly well put together. And in terms of what were they going for, what did they nail, um, they largely did that. It's just that for me and my wife, when we played through it, we were both just like, I don't think we don't really... I just have no stakes in the back third because it's just right, so right. all over the place. Um, and then, yeah, like when it wrapped, I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. That's ba- fascinating. Then. I, I'm not surprised, especially because we've talked about similar games before and probably landed on either side mm. of this coin already. I, I guess I'll talk about it now. I yeah. won't reveal where it lands in my list because that'll be a time for part two, but I might as well talk yeah, about gonna, it now rather than split, this split the discussion. We will do um, our no, up to number sixes and we'll do the top five next week. Great. But uh, yeah, so Alan Wake 2, I liked for pretty much all of the reasons that you didn't like it there. <laughs> um, to me, as someone who is uh, perhaps clichédly um, a big David Lynch fan, mm. I loved how much this echoed Twin Peaks The Return, which was the third season of Twin Peaks, which came 25 years after the original. And like Twin Peaks The Return, I just thought Alan Wake 2 was this kind of like darker, more menacing, more twisted version of a kind of more romanticized previous installment, if that mm-hmm, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the original Alan Wake had um, a lot of darkness to it. It had a lot of you know horror within it, but it also... The stakes, to me, weren't as high in that game, Mm. whereas I, funnily enough, thought Alan Wake 2 brought a sense of grit and edge to the surrealism that I really appreciated. I really felt for characters that I never thought I would, you know, like Alice Wake. I was so invested in Mm. her story. Mm -hmm. Um, I like what they did with her, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, Saga, I thought, was incredible. I thought the best... 
I thought Saga was empty. Oh, man. She's barely a character to me. The best compliment I could give the game, right, is that in a game called Alan Wake 2, which I've been waiting for for 10 years mm. to continue the story of the titular Alan Wake, I was more interested in Saga's uh, I was more plight, interested, you know? but I didn't think they paid it off. Ah, man. See, I thought I love what they did with her and Alex Casey, mm -hmm. all the intertwining plot lines, and I loved where they ended it initially, again, before that post credit sequence. I just thought it tied everything up really Nicely, I love mm -hmm. the way it plays with the tropes of horror, like the original did, and I do just love that sense of like nastiness that the game had to it. And mm -hmm. I guess I can uh, alleviate some of the negatives you had by the comparisons that I would make to something like Twin Peaks, because similarly, the uh, the villain in Twin Peaks, Killer Bob, you know, is similar <laughs> to Mister Scratch in that he's almost kind of unknowable. He is just like the sort of yeah. entity of darkness and uh, violence and stuff like that. So it. It worked for me in that regard, and I got a lot out of it, not just from the vibes, but interpretively as mm. well, which we don't have time to get into well, I think, today. I mean, but, you know, I felt I just felt like there was a lot of meat to the bone. No, there is. It's just that it's it's, it's very subjective meat. And, um, but I think we'll revisit Alan Wake 2 because I imagine it's in your top five. It absolutely um, So is. we should talk a bit more about it, um, like, next week. Because, like, yeah, we haven't even talked about the combat. I thought the combat <laughs> was abysmal in parts. So it's like there's that dragged it down for a bit too. Um, I'm not even talking about the positives, even though I had it <laughs> in my top ten at number seven. Um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I still I still love the the writing I love the whole music dance sequence that's in there I love how much they just I love how confident Remedy are yeah. in 2023 2024 um, they have just seized a certain vibe and they have all the money to put into it um, and that was the main reason that I came away just absolutely loving it in terms like, overall even though I do have big issues with the story and the feel of like the stakes and then some of the light puzzles I think sucked like there's just things like that where I can't if I'm going to be completely subjective about it then uh, it makes me go like well I hated playing that and I hate that reveal and that cutscene sucked and like I'd really oh that took me out of it and like oh I thought you were going there but actually you did that and that's so much worse and whatever and like after a while I was like it has a full package totally but there's so many negatives to it Such as well conflicting feelings here because one I'm so pleased I'm in the dark place Jeff. I'm so pleased you have done a spoiler cast because I get to listen to it <laughs> and I get to talk to you more about this as soon as we stop recording but on the other hand, I'm so good and I wasn't there for that well, the spoiler cast. I, that's the thing. Me and Strawn did the, Adam Strawn uh, over on the main channel, me and him did the uh, Alan Way 2 spoiler cast pretty much fresh after we'd both finished it. So I had a lot of different thoughts there. And I imagine I'm more positive on that spoiler cast. You'd think I'd remember because it's my head, but I don't. And um, at the minute now, like, I always have that negative edge to it. But yeah, it's like reflecting back on it. Yeah. It's like, I appreciate it. I'm glad it exists. But I, I would, it's impossible to recommend. Like, you'd have to really? play Alan Wake 1 and then do American Nightmare and then probably play Control and then you could play Alan Wake 2. That's so funny because I've been recommending it to everyone I know who doesn't even play games. That's really? Yeah, I think yeah. I'd be so lost in it. I think you would, but I think you could pick it up for yeah. me personally. You know, I think there's enough <laughs> in there for you to get it. Not right. the Control stuff. I'll, I'll admit that. Like, you won't get the connections to Control. That, mm -hmm. That's only... They're only in there for people who actually played that game. Yes. But, I don't know. I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked. It, uh, it did many things. Uh, so that was my number did. seven. My number seven is Marvel's Spider-Man 2. Interesting. And like my previous pick, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, this is a game that I could genuinely pick apart and criticize in a loving way for probably about three hours. I right. could sit you down in this podcast room and talk about everything that I think could have been better I didn't necessarily like, but like something like Zelda or God of War before it, that kind of comes from a place of love. And it's weird <laughs> because I think sometimes you can criticize things you love yes. more than you can criticize things you hate because 
the, the, the flaws as they are become so much more obvious, I suppose, when anything else is spectacular. Mm-hmm. So I do have my problems with Spider-Man 2, but the overall feeling that it left me is this was a damn good sequel. Right. And everything in there, um, I watched this really good video on it from a channel, I think, called High Top Films, who went into the story specifically. And I echo what they said about it. And that is, the story is overstuffed. Mm. Any one of the major threads in this game could be its own game and could be fleshed out way more than it mm. is. But that's not to say that what's in there isn't spectacular in its own right, in my opinion. I thought all of the threads were presented well. I just selfishly wanted more of them. I wanted them to be fleshed out a little bit more. I wanted to see uh, a bit more character depth here and there. I wanted things to be allowed the time to breathe and not feel as um, quickly ran mm. through. But... Mm-hmm. You know, if we're talking individual moments, I love the entire stretch where Peter is Venom and you're controlling Mary Jane and it kind of goes all horror-focused. I love the end fight with Venom himself being the big winged version. Spoilers, sorry, but (laughs) sorry, I just spoiled the entire thing there. I think a winged Venom is very much out there. Winged Venom is definitely out there. I won't spoil what happens to him, but yeah, winged Venom is out there. Um, That was amazing. I thought they could have done way more with Venom's plot. I thought that was incredibly underbaked. My maybe biggest criticism of the game but yeah, just it was one of those stories where I was on the one hand disappointed with how predictable it was, mm. but on the other hand excited because it was presented so well and for my money maintained the insomniac heart that mm. drove the original. It's not as emotionally engaging mm. as the first one, but as far as sequels go, you know, like similarly to Zelda as well, it, it had this high bar to match for me personally mm-hmm. and it didn't quite smash it, but it did a damn good job at trying. I loved moving in this game. Like, the best best movement of the year, best movement of all time, best traversal system in Spidey history. Um, something that I was looking forward to them, like, uh, iterating on after 2018 Spidey, because, like, I, I liked that game enough. It was just, obviously, you're, you're taken from Arkham in terms of the combat, but it did differentiate itself enough in terms of how athletic it was. But I always loved the physics-based swing of Spider-Man 2 on the PS2, and I love on this one how you can turn that on, like, it's in the options. I hate that you've got to go into the options and do it, because right. um, that I'd make that F's with my artistic brain where I'm like, well, you guys didn't want us to do this or something. And I'm just like, just design the swinging system that we're supposed to use as default. And then I'll critique that or I'll, I'll analyze that. Um, but I ended up like uh, turning that almost all the way off. I think I did turn it all the way off because then you can actually hit the ground. Yeah. And it's like, unless you're getting your swings right, and that, that unlocks more speed and you have to get the actual like arc of the swing right. That's what being Spider-Man should feel like. Mm. And um, that wasn't in the 2018 one for me. It was very floaty. Um, and it's like when you dive off a really tall building and then you catch yourself at the last minute, that should be a lightning quick fling forward yeah. that wasn't in 2018 but is in Spidey 2. So I loved being Spider-Man. That's why I like hoovered up the platinum and everything. Um, yeah, it wasn't even on my honorable mentions because I just got so sick of everything other than the traversal. Right. I thought the story, the story I thought was really bad. Like I said, predictable. I thought the the actual Harry Swerve was terribly handled and really forced and really quick yeah. and bad. Um, I hated anything where I wasn't playing as the Spider-Men I was just like, what are we doing? Why am I running around a construction site spray painting? St- what is that? <laughs> what is that? Like, I hated that. 
And um, I get, well, I get obviously what they're going for in terms of the, um, you know, identifying with a different character and like, yeah. look at, the thing is though, like, I like that on paper, the idea of like, look at the street level of what a Spider-Man can bring to a, to a person or a, or a group, what Miles represents, and then the wider, inter- almost intergalactic stuff of a symbiote invasion that, Sp- that um, Peter yeah. Parker can do. Those together are really good ideas, but it just didn't land for me at all. It felt like this really, especially by the end, this big rush job because the symbiote invasion was handled like overnight and it was just, you didn't even see the police forces responding to or NPCs responding to it or anything. Ah, it was just, that's interesting. The city didn't really respond to the fact there was an alien invasion happening. I just thought it was so undercooked. And then obviously there's the stuff with Todd, um, Tony Todd talking about he recorded way more that they didn't use. Um, and there's the whole bit where like uh, Venom swings away and Peter goes after him and then we cut and we don't actually get that scene. Um, Tony Todd on another tweet, I did a whole video, uh, sorry, I did a whole article about how disappointing it was because he talked about like, oh, there's a showdown between Venom, Miles and Peter. Mm. And that didn't, that wasn't in the game. So I'm like, well, I guess you guys cut that then. And um, just things like that where it just, it was so threatening bear by the end just to get it over the finish line right i have so many thoughts on sony's handling of spider-man and right I think this, okay. is a, this is one of the biggest casualties of their overall business plan that is extremely exciting Ugh, um, i, I funnily enough disagreed with spider-man with what you said there about I, I it's funny it's a classic me and you situation where i agree overall with your thoughts on how the symbiote invasion is handled <laughs> i do think it's too rushed but i would disagree with what you described as not seeing the response on the ground because that's the one part of it that i really did like that the fact that when you're swinging around in that that period, the encounters on the ground change and you have like these big fights between symbiotes and then the gangs and you yeah. kind of swing in, in the middle and you have to take them on. I don't know, maybe I would just enjoyed the surprise of that so much and how dynamically it did change the city that it, it sold me on that invasion aspect more mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that slightly made up for the lack of cutscenes surrounding it, especially when you throw in like the Jonah podcast, always mm. talking about it as well, and how it's like the end of days and stuff. Yeah. That, that admittedly did work for me, but I will agree that that story overla- overall is, is rushed. It has a lack of uh, explanation. You know, I wish there was more law to yeah. what was happening, because I feel like if you've not read the Venom arc that that's from, you might be a little bit lost and it might Pretty feel much. a little bit um, lacking in depth, but... For me, I loved the Harry stuff up until his predictable turn. I thought they did an incredible job of um, making you care for him straight away. I know some people don't agree with that. I was talking to Adam Nicholas about mm. it, and he hated Harry from the get-go. I'm way more towards Nicholas than you. Really? Yeah. I just didn't. It was just because it was so forced. And it was like that bit when you go around the, the carnival with him. Again, yeah. again, why am I not playing Spider-Man? Why am I not doing Spidey oh, things? Those, Here's some mini-games, because we're a Sony game. That's hilarious, right? Because I was playing that bit with my girlfriend, and we were saying, like, I bet some people hate this. And that was like our favorite part of the game. You know what I mean? Because I just... I, just go to a, I can just go to a festival. No, with Harry Osborne, you can't. I don't want to be with him. <laughs> he sucks. Well, that's the difference, right? I was surprised at how likable... And I, didn't, how I didn't hate him, to be quickly fair, I was endeared to him early on. Because honestly, going into it, I thought, oh, another Harry storyline. Mm. How many times have I seen this in comics and films and television shows? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How many times have I seen these beats play out? But there was just something about... I can't remember the actor's name, but his performance as Harry and the the model that they use, he just looks like a cheeky chappy. He looks like um, Dave Mustaine. It, he looks Dave like the Mustaine. singer of Megadeth, yeah. I don't understand that reference, you'll but see, I'm going to have to Google see. it after this. Dude looks just like Dave Mustaine. But yeah, the point is, like they, they did a good job endearing me towards him to the, to the point where I was like, okay, I guess I can go for another Peter and Harry story. I liked the moments where you didn't play as other characters. You know, I, I defended those in Spider-Man 2018, and then in retrospect, when I played that game again, for the remastered version of PS4, 
five, I thought, oh, no, these do detract. You know, I loved yeah. playing as Miles in theory. I loved playing as Mary Jane in theory, but the stealth there didn't work. How tight is Miles Morales as a game? The, the, the 2021? Yeah. Because it gets rid of all the fat. Well, he's where the butt was going to come yeah. in. I liked it in Marvel Spider-Man 2 because I thought it was actually enjoyable to play. Right. I like third-person shooter Mary Jane sections. I thought they were really good. Oh, I... I like, no, I, I no, no, no. it's because we're grouping them all together. It's like the one when you're on the construction site and you're doing the spray paint thing and you've got to do the puzzle where you move the lift so you can go up to the roof. That sucked. Right. MJ stuff I thought was better, better than in the 2018 one. I'm glad they gave her a gun and a takedown th- animation. It just reminded me too much of like, how do we crowbar the last of us into this? Because it was just like the the overall look of all those areas was just Last of Us, right. and it was like I just I feel like ever since the Last of Us in 2013, it's like obviously Naughty Dog became the the North Star, whatever for Sony development overall. God of War got a Last of Using of itself, um, and now it was like how do we get that bit of that signature style in there? Yeah, uh, I, that conversation might have not happened at all, but like it felt like that. It felt like I'm crouching behind an enemy, I'm going to take them down in a moss covered environment to remind you that it's a Sony first party right, game. Right. Yeah. And I was just like I don't need this, and also if you get seen then you'll get you'll kicked right back to the start again. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, we have instant fail stealth in 2023. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? <laughs> that um, is true, yeah. And it was just enough. like that little things like that where I was like, oh my God, these other gameplay tenets are mm. terrible on a, on the same scale as your traversal and the Spider-Man stuff, which is why I'm here in the first place. And it was like, if all I'm, and, and I don't necessarily hate the MJ stuff. It's just so boring and basic. We've done it a million times and we did it in 2003. I would disagree because, of course, I would. I think, yes, it is a step down, but I thought they were more on par this time around. I get that people Mm. just want to beat the Spider-Man and they want to do the superhero stuff, but for me, getting that on-the-ground perspective adds a lot. And especially when you get sequences like um, Scary Peter chasing That's the best one. It justifies itself for me. Sorry. No, go on. I was just going to say there were more of those for me than there were... The kind of yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Monotonous spray paint ones, even though I love that character. <laughs> I was just yeah, I was gonna say I defended the one in 2018's one when you're playing as MJ in Central Station, mm. Central Station, and um, and you all have Spidey's coming down, taking some goons out, and yeah. you're going around because, like you said, that fundamentally bolsters the idea of the duality of their relationship or like what Spider-Man can bring to someone on the ground. It was just that they did too much of it where it detracted. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking down the line of like, oh, MJ doesn't even need Spider-Man until I started seeing all the backlash online or backlash like the the conversations online of like. How capable is MJ? She doesn't really need Spidey. Yeah. She can just take out a whole army of goons. I, and I was I, like, oh, I guess so. Yeah. I, I did laugh when um, they were like, right, MJ, you go into the symbiote nest. <laughs> like, that's, dude, that's the most, like, dangerous job anyone could ever have. There's like, a bit where she jumps in front of Spider Man. Uh, yeah. I was like, it's Spider Man. I wouldn't interest Spider Man with going in the symbiote <laughs> nest without, like, him and Miles. I thought that was uh, I did like, a little bit funny, but I like that she was involved. And yes. I did like that section from a gameplay um, perspective, absolutely. There's so much to talk about with that game because I was groaning most of the time. Um, but we'll dive back into Can it. Can I have a few more seconds just yes. to talk about two points quickly before yes. we wrap up if that's okay? Because I do want to point out something that you always talk about, um, and that's the marketing of the game. Mm. I do think that let it down a little bit. This, it made the same mistake as the first game did. And I remember saying to you, you were asking me if I'd watched the latest Spider-Man trailer after the reveal... Well, my voice went strange. The reveal where you're chasing down the lizard is the symbiote. Mm. And I said, no, because I don't trust them to not reveal too much after they reveal yes. the uh, the raft segment in the initial game. And even by then, I'd already seen too much. I didn't need right. to see Peter in the symbiote costume. I didn't need to see him chasing down the lizard. I just mm. don't know why they need to reveal those big set pieces 
And it's funny, I was watching an interview with Brian Inatar, the uh, creative director mm-hmm. on Kind of Funny Games, mm-hmm. and he was saying about how he didn't want to show anything. He was right. like, I don't want to show anything from this game. You know, it's Spider-Man 2, it'll sell. And obviously, he had to compromise. And I'm like, no, you're right. Like, don't <laughs> show stuff from that far in the game. Like, I, in my opinion, it only led to those expectations, like you were saying, that we were going to get to the symbiote suit much quicker. We were going to get to Venom much quicker. And I just, I wish I hadn't seen that. I wish they mm. marketed it in a slightly different way and set those expectations down. Secondly, I do want to shout out some positives because I feel like I've been <laughs> shouting about it for so long. But again, it comes from a place of love. Yes. From the first um, act, I thought I was in for maybe the best game I had ever played. I know we differ on this, but I loved the stuff with Sandman at the beginning. I loved the scale of that. And more importantly, I loved the moment where both Miles and Peter are in school because Peter's got a job as mm. his teacher. And then they have to, obviously have to go and do Spider-Man things, but then they get back to the school and Miles has missed his appointment and Peter's been sacked. I thought that's Spider-Man yes. right there. You know, I thought that duality of dealing with being a hero and being a normal person was a like just summed up so perfectly in that in that scene and I wanted to see that carried through kind of wasn't because mm. there's so much to get through in the game but those moments kept me coming back the traverse like you said incredible Unbelievable. it looks great I think I was playing it on quality mode I'm mm. not sure if you were in performance, performance but quality mode was absolutely stunning there were so many times where I saw the the sun the sunset and I was on top of a building. I could see incredible detail below the ray trace reflections bouncing off the water. And I was just, uh, me and my girlfriend kept saying, I can't believe video games look like this. <laughs> you know, I was just blown away by yeah. it. So hopefully I've managed to do it some justice there. There's so much more I like about it, but we are unfortunately running out of time. For now, but we can always revisit Spider-Man 2 in general. There are many things I would talk about, but yeah, obviously there are massive positives to it. It still made the overall uh, game of the year list that I put together at the end of last year. It's still very much a well-put-together package. I just agree with the people, and I'm one of them, who had a lot of problems with the story or like certain aspects of uh, which parts were made playable, etc. Um, for now, though, this has been the wind-up. Don't think I did an introduction, but I'm Scott Tilford. That's Josh Brown. <laughs> you don't think you did. Uh, always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. <laughs> always a pleasure to be joined once again by you and everyone else listening at home. We'll catch you very soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.